right. Join us next Sanders time for Editing like... Playhouse. So We're all going to have our tongues cut out by the end of this podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. This is our instant reaction episode into True Detective Night Country, a.k.a. True Detective Season 4, Episode 2, Night Country Part 2. Please note this episode may contain spoilers of True Detective Seasons 1 through 3 and True Detective Season 4, Episodes 1 through 2. It may also contain speculation of Season 4, including coverage of any trailers before this episode and articles that have been released before this episode as well. Please note this episode may contain mature content, including cursing and inappropriate, albeit not funny, jokes. I'll be your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co-hosting with me for this episode will be Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show at Prestige Ish Media on Instagram and Prestige underscore Ish on X. You can find me at Real Real Batman on both. You can find Jessica Z at Jobless Dog Mom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair ten seventeen, both on Instagram and X. Now, without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome to the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. I am your host, Craig Lake. In this episode, we will be covering True Detective Night Country, a.k.a. True Detective Season 4, a.k.a. Night Country Part 2. This will be our instant reaction episode where we just give kind of our instant reactions to things that happen. We may give some brief things on where we think things are going, but we're going to save major theories and trailer reactions and article reactions for our deep dive, which should be posted Wednesday or Thursday. With me, I have our favorite Hankasexual, Dan McNair. Dan, how are you doing today? I hate Max. And we also have our very own alexa jones the minerals are turning the caribou gay jessica z jessica how are you doing today <laughs> i don't know who that is i'm great i'm so tired let's... you're making me record at 12 30 p wait a.m so let's get into it let's start here with our instant reaction rating i give the episode an eight again uh, I think it was very solid. Issa Lopez made a post right before the episode posted, like hyping some big secrets. And so I think that once again, got my expectations a little bit too high, but I think it was a solid eight for me. Jessica, what do you rate the episode on first watch? Eight and a half. Okay. Ooh. And Dan, where are you on your first mostly complete kind of watch? Yeah, my viewing uh, experience was a little clouded where there may be some gaps. So it was kind of like I watched it in the 60s through a haze of fog. I'm going to start off with a six, but hopefully that will be fixed by the deep dive review. Were you watching it like Kavik with the scrambled porn channel the whole time? Is that what was That could have been, but I was not in a bubble bath. This time, this time. <laughs> this episode was written and directed again by Issa Lopez. Nick Pizzolatto has a writing credit, but once again, in name only. So we started with, they're taking pictures of dead bodies. We've got burnt corneas. We've got ice burns. They're all naked, clearly a little cold out. They're talking about what could cause blood from eardrums, which I still definitely think that could be frequencies. We've got spirals on foreheads. One guy possibly scratched his own eye out. This is the first time we hear Liz Danvers say it's going to be a shit bowl. And then we get kind of some of the conversation that they might send these things back to Anchorage, then fuck Anchorage. If you remember in the first episode, she was going to tag and bag that tongue for Anchorage. So this is, I, I think, when I started getting the idea that Anchorage might be Connolly. now that we know Connolly was going to be a thing which we talked about in our deep dive. And then it just got wild. Somebody was trying to chainsaw him out of the ice. Danvers started yelling at him. One guy was taking pictures with a corpse. And, you know, Danvers is, this is a crime scene for fuck's they sake. They're just blown off steam. Wild <laughs> description of what happened, which was that. What did you think of this entry scene here, Jessica? It was chaotic, but I was excited to see what was going on with the bodies that we left last week 
Yeah, and the more I saw, you know, I know you're both a little unfamiliar with Dyatlov Pass, but it's text tech pass going on here. We've got the clothes kind of folded and away from the crime scene, naked bodies, uh, damage to the bodies. So that was some of the other things we saw was the folded clothes away. Wilson broke a hand at one point. And then I thought it was terrible CGI, but one of the bodies started actually groaning. What was your kind of take on this opener, Dan, or what you could catch of it? I was with Danvers as far as everybody screwing around. It seemed in this scene and later, they're really selling the spirals hard. Episode two, I I love the title and how it ties into it being episode two, but they could have also probably called it the spiral episode. But yeah, the groaning, I think that can be a part of rigor mortis and... Oh, here we go again. Jessica, tell me about rigor mortis. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the expul- that was probably the expulsion of gas. Like, I have seen things like this similar explained away in other, like, death scenes. Wait, was he not alive? That's where I was confused, because the very next scene, she's on the phone with a nurse, and they say, we'll have to amputate at least one leg. So I didn't know who she was talking about. I think it was a dead body, but then she was talking to that nurse. Is that why you were asking if he was alive, Jessica? I was under the impression that he was alive. So Let's see how he could be naked in the Arctic. I don't know. I figured he just froze the right way, like Austin Powers. And- so I definitely thought he was dead. I assumed maybe they'd explain it with something like that. I did not care for the CGI of it all. Um, but then, like I said, she was on the phone where they're saying they're going to have to amputate at least one leg. So I don't know who... I'm trying to figure out who else would that have been that they were talking about. There's no other. I just took it in to transport this ice sculpture. Like the only way that it was going to work was to have to not amputate in a human alive sense, but in a moving the corpses. That makes a hell of a lot more sense if that's in fact what was going on. And then maybe the guy with the old chainsaw is white. That was fucking wild. He just comes in and starts chainsawing away. So we got old Bryson's school. This is the first hint that we get that Liz Danvers is, I guess, just banging her way around Ennis. Ennis has maybe has more than one meaning for old Liz Danvers. (laughs) So she wants to know what Salal Station does. She kind of dismisses his class. He kind of brings up the geologists were madmen, reclusive. No one comes in, no one comes out. They were trying to synchronize DNA that stops cellular decay. She was trying to ask her him to say it in English, and he said, you should have fucked the English teacher. She said, not my type, either were you. So a little bit back and forth with them. We find out they were ice coring. What were your thoughts on Bryce here, Dan? Any thoughts on this scene with him at all? Being that I kind of saw it out of order, I'm a little bit confused about Bryce just because I saw a later scene where Leah talks about... That's a different dude she banged. Okay. We got at least a body count of three for old Liz Danvers in this episode. Go ahead. Okay. And yeah, I can't wait to and get they to the did second. Look, they did look similar, though. To your, okay. To your point. So when I first saw him after seeing her dad scene, I was oh, pretty confused. Okay. But I don't know what we gained from it. It seems like there was a lot figuring out about the Salal scientists in this episode. And so the information, what little he gave, seemed to kind of feed that narrative for me. Yeah. What did you think of old Bryce, Jessica? And were you surprised that old Liz Danvers was making her way around? I thought he was a good source to go to. He knew exactly what they were doing and everything. And I don't see how he couldn't be her type. I don't know. Thought it was better than her. Better than she could do. Allowed to just dismiss class. This is a power. Dude, she's insane. I just dislike the character so much. Well, I think it's kind of cool. I will say that the the murder should be a pretty big deal in that town, and you're not really going to talk about the murder in front of the children. So I get was a little bit out there, but I mean, they probably have. I would think the police might have the authority to. Shut the whole school down. I mean, there's at least six down. I mean, I think they've got a clue that it's 
something. Go ahead, Dan. Where in God's great America are you not already on Christmas break by December 21st or 22nd? Yeah, that's a little crazy, Most especially places. when it's dark for a million. You're saying yeah, you're not on Christmas break The kids break should get York? the whole month off. What the hell? No, if our first day off was always Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve. We would go till the 23rd, and then we had Christmas Eve. Usually, you know, here, and, and Dan went to school in Chicago, but, like, on the West Coast, like, it's usually at least a week before Christmas and a week after, generally. But we went to school, like, right after New Year's, usually is when we would go back. You guys probably needed more. At Jessica's school, they only got four days off for Christmas break. We didn't start school until September, the day after Labor Day. Yeah, probably also, I would assume snow days are a factor in some of that. We had one. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I think we'll get into it more into the deep dive, but I think the real big revelation here we get is, you know, in the first episode, we talk a lot about like, climate change or mining or whatever and we get a little bit of this but not as much of this which is they're trying to synchronize decay that would or synchronize dna that could stop cellular decay that seems like a pretty big deal and also that would be more valuable than anything to do with the minerals or the climate so we can get into more theories with that later but i definitely think that's what we get we did get a little bit of rose and navarro We end up with a big, huge reveal, which was Rose was talking about Travis a bit. Travis had leukemia. Her and Travis were banging, which even dead, I thought Travis looked a little too young to be hooking up with old Rose there. But Travis was Travis Cole, Russ Cole's dad. In Craig Stradamus Prediction 1, where he mentioned the disheveled man looked a little Cole-ish, he was, in fact, Travis Cole. Any immediate reaction to that revelation for you, Dan, as I know it's a surprise? Yeah, I thought Rust's dad was dead by this point. We don't, know, mean, I, we don't know when Travis died. Yeah, I guess um, it could have been like 2000 yeah, or something. Oh. It could be like an uncle or something, right? It is his dad. Uh, did they say that? They don't, it is in other context outside of the show, but it is his dad, Travis Cole. My eyes just popped outside my head. There's articles, there's things out there already, but it was, and I think it's actually one of the bigger reveals she was talking about early, probably. I I didn't look at any articles yet. I was waiting for the deep dive. I already knew it was his dad, but I had to sit around here and wait for you guys. So yeah, Travis Cole, it's his dad. Any thoughts, Jessica, on either it being his dad or me being right? You being right by reading all the articles that we couldn't read. No, no. I had said he looks a little rustless. He looks disheveled. Either him or the guy in the shed or it could be a Cole. It's on the last episode. I'll play back the tape, you sons of bitches. I didn't hear that part in the last episode. must have been edited out. The next thing that I wanted to discuss here, to wrap up Navarro and Rose, they do talk about Jules a little bit. Wait, so um, is Rose was, his mom? No, Rose is not his mom. She's just somebody that was banging uh, Travis Cole. But to our knowledge, it's not his actual mom. They were just he's like the same age as Rust. It's his her sneaky link. Is that what the kids call it these days? Wispy long hair. It could be genetic. I said not the same hair, not the same hair. Rust was way hotter. Disheveled runs in the family, disheveled on disheveled. (laughs) So I was kind of surprised that Rose didn't give credit to Jules like seeing the dead for something spiritual. She actually pointed out not to confuse the spirit world with mental health issues and seemed to be kind of leading Navarro into checking her sister into a mental health facility. Did you guys have any other thoughts on the interaction between the two of them, Jessica? I think she was asking for herself, too, because she was seeing, like, the person from, like, her past or the war. So, haha, she blamed it on her sister, but she was asking for herself, I think. What? I don't know. Seen, I, I wrote down, actually, oh, I guess her sister really is crazy because she's been, like, hospitalized and medicated everywhere she goes and not just in Ennis. And the Baker actor ass. Dan, any thoughts on the Navarro and Rose scene? I'm going to save those for my deep dive. 
Okay, the only other input I'll throw out is Navarro did ask about the spiral. It was funny. Rose kept calling her Missy. She said it's old Missy. She drew what I think is a spiral in the snow, but it was the shittiest spiral drawn in the history of man. It looked like she was drawing a vagina in the snow. Go ahead, Jessica. I thought all of the spirals were shitty. They're like... None shittier than old roses. Um, They're not 600 freaking dollar tattoo spirals, okay? She said I could do a tattoo better than that. It's old Missy, older than Ennis older than ice probably so i thought that was interesting we go back to the station dan's boy Connolly is there he's talking about moving the case to anchorage so that's kind of our confirmation of what anchorage is i did think it was funny he said you don't want this case i know you what's that thing you say shit bowl she mentions that she wants to keep control of the case he's going to move the bodies she cites section nine chapter four of the Alaska forensic code book of some sort that says that the bodies must be thought at 38 degrees for 48 hours before you move them. So this is how they endeavor to possibly move it to the hockey rink. Dan, did you see the debut of Connolly and did you have any thoughts on it? No, I, I saw him later in the episode, but I knew He's, he was coming. And I mean, later I got in a, the episode, yes. I've got a bad feeling of this guy. I mean, uh, Joe's Je- coming later in the episode, too. <laughs> Jessica, what were your initial thoughts on old Connolly? Oh, my God. I thought he's Michael Rappaport-ish. Ooh. Okay. Uh, right-ish, you know, when they were, like, living together after being I, together. I understand where you're coming from. Thank you. What a dick. That's all. We do see some hockey rink action, and to Jessica's credit, she was right from the trailer episode about Leah playing hockey. She knows her high school hockey players. My note is, motherfuck, Leah does play hockey. (laughs) Hey, Um, Jessica, forget (laughs) one right. So I, I was wondering pretty early if the gal we were going to see was Kate McKittrick, and it was. What's your thumbnail sketch of Kate McKittrick that we saw here? She did not look as impressive as a gal with money, even in Alaska, as I was hoping for. I was hoping for a little hotter of a Kate McKittrick. I did wonder if she's sweet on old Pete, because she said that Pete needed to be teaching hockey to her boys. So we know that Pete's potentially a former hockey player, potentially pretty good. And maybe, you know, Kate McKittrick wants a bite at the old Pete Apple. That could be a possibility. So she um, probably could have played pro. He probably could have played pro if he didn't get involved with running drugs through the town. Or if his dad wasn't beating his ass. Or if he didn't, you Hank know, wouldn't. put his demon seed into kayla and create damian darwin over hey, there i like her even more after this episode i generally like kayla i thought she was a little bitchy this episode i did think it was interesting kate mckittrick did already know about the scientists when we do see bryce bryce was unaware of the scientists so it's unsure who knows what but it's very clear that she knows what's going on which is not surprising it's just something to know the mine owns the rink she owns the rink, so they're asking her for access to the rink. She says she's doing it only because she loves this town and she wants it to be noted by Danvers. There seems to be some beef with her and Danvers. We don't find out what it is then, but we find out shortly, so we'll hit it now. Danvers slept with her husband. We don't know who that is. I'm wondering if it was Connolly because there's there are two people that have been in power. Later on, we get like a 15 to 19 year timeline on the Connolly affair with Liz. So that's what I'm thinking. The McKittrick X is McConnelly as well. That and that timeline, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Because I had Danvers coming in six years ago, because isn't that when Annie died? We did hear that may have been when he transferred her. Maybe she was in Anchorage earlier and he transferred her. Because we do find out this is a new position for her. So maybe she was in Alaska and Anchorage and got transferred 
six years ago to or within the last six years to Ennis specifically that would be my guess so yeah I was thinking her and Connolly were together but not necessarily in Ennis and then yeah, I'm think- brought her up to Ennis. Yeah, I'm thinking she- Alaska. No shit. I'm thinking Anchorage, and then they he bumped her up to Ennis is what he's calling a promotion, but probably to get distance between them. My guess is that Connolly and McKittrick have a pass, but I don't really know. We'll find out. It could be McKittrick and her ex that 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 doesn't make sense that those children would be by her though. That would be surprising. And we also, at this point, know Liz Danvers gets around, so maybe it's just another husband she banged would not be surprising at this point. I mean, Um, we learned in the first episode her Tinder profile is pinging at all hours of the eternal night. (laughs) So we do get some Beach Boys. I believe that was Beach Boys. We'll clarify it in the deep dive. Seemed to be Little Saint Nick, but I don't know that song or didn't look it up, but that's the note I have. So this is where we see McKittrick passes Navarro and says that fucking bitch about... Liz Danvers. We get a little bit more about Bernheim, but all self-inflicted wounds. We get kind of this Sherlocky Watson scene with her and Pete, with Danvers and Pete, where she's asking him to ask the right questions. So one of the questions they're asking is why they're climbing on top of each other. Like they must have been really scared of something. There's rumored Yeti involvement in the Diatlov Pass. And we do hear a Danvers saying that Yetis weren't involved. So I think that's another call out to that. Quote from Navarro was the mind bitch hates you more than she hates me. And that's (laughs) where we hear, that's where we hear Danvers say, I may have dated her husband. So that's kind of the confirm there. We find out that the spiral tattoo was on Annie's body. Danvers says, I'm never working with you again, ever. And Navarro says, no one can stand you except that poor kid prior. I thought she was being reasonable. I mean, she sounds like she'll be a valuable asset in solving the case to push her out. Just seems ridiculous. But I think Danvers doesn't even seem like that good of a cop. So I would slightly disagree with that, but the being a good cop part, but I do agree that she's a little bitchy here and there. We still don't she know can, what, ha- sorry, she can catch a DWI if it hits her. We, we still don't know what happened maybe too soon with her ex-lover but you know we still don't know what happened in that last case with navarro and so we don't really know if that's a danvers issue or navarro issue yet so i think it's a little hard to speak on that this soon we end up at the burger joint this is where we meet chuck it appears that chuck recognizes raymond clark he bumps jules was it as apparent to you as it was to me that chuck definitely knew raymond clark We also get a little bit more on some of the resident fighting over the water issue were kind of the things there. Any thoughts on either of those scenes or those parts of the scene? You know, it was cool to see the inside of Kavix. It was cool to see Jules there. Um, You do, like you're saying, pick up on some of the tensions and other things like that. Um, What's this dude's name? Chuck. Chuck. Good old Chuck. Um, Yeah, she says, what's up, Chuck? He wants nothing to do with that. So yeah, you get some of that tension too. So back to the ice rink, some of the things that uh, Pete and Danvers are talking about, as I said earlier, print on one of the shoes, no matches. She mentions, you know, I guess we kind of see her with common explanations for what could have happened. So sudden drop in pressure, eardrums, hypothermia could cause delirium. So they start asking what would make him run outside in the first place. Pete has this Jessica-like theory about a polar bear that caused a panic. Danvers explained. And and actually, I think he picked up on the paradoxical undressing where you get so cold that you feel like you're hot and you start taking off your clothes. So it seemed to all make sense there. We find out that there are five pairs of pants, three shoes are missing, So they kind of get to what is the real question, which is how scared do you have to be to run out on the ice without any shoes? They talk about the killer possibly folding the clothes. Danvers says, we're not asking the right questions. I told you this was a shit case. Where do we want to start here? Dan, do you have any thoughts on some of these theories of what's going on? We're obviously not going to go into any deep theories, but any quick reaction theories as to what you think could have been going on on the ice. And then... Another question I'm going to ask now, any thoughts on why Danvers is kind of taking this case that she knows is a shit case? 
I I just think she's got ownership in it, and it's you see in her personal life and in her professional life this need to have control. I think her trying to take it on this personally is that aspect of her character. I don't know that all the things that she threw out there, the reasoning for, you know, the eardrums bursting and what's going on with the eyes. I don't know that any of that's really going to add up to a lot in the end game, but we'll see, I suppose. Jessica, what were your thoughts on some of these series of what drove them out on the ice? And why do you think Danvers wants to take this shit case? I think she does just because, I mean, how often is she going to get a chance to solve a murder? in Ennis because she doesn't seem to have any interest in solving like native murders this is probably like, your rare <laughs> dude she was horrible I thought Pete was pretty good but he looked like a villain but he was asking good questions she was leading him to ask, ask better questions yeah I thought that was interesting and we kind of get this through line later with Navarro on that she kind of did the same thing with Navarro and so I think for all that it's easy to just say Danvers is an asshole, which, you know, she is effectively. That's how she even wanted her character to play out. But with that said, there are some positives to her. Despite her poor bedside manner, I do think there are some really high qualities to her as a detective. I'm going to hit two of them now. I'm not sure where we get the revelation that the tongue was officially... Annie Kay's, but we do get it. So that was not a way out there Craig Stradamus prediction, but another oh. Craig Stradamus prediction that did come true. And this one I was more on top of than I saw a lot of people, but there were some other people that had it out there that that video evidence was going to come into play from the station. And so we did see the video um, evidence play out. It is interesting because we didn't get anything we didn't already see. You know, we just got Clark kind of spazzing out and the static and everything kind of popping off at once. But we did get to see that. The next thing, I guess, I'm going to skip. I mean, we'll talk about the deep dive, but we get the scene with Kovic and Navarro again. This is the pre-bath scene, but like where he's like working on the wolf when or something like that. When she said that, it's a husky. Is it officially a husky? Yeah. But when she said one of these days, those dogs are going to eat you, I wrote that down because I bet you like the dogs go crazy, just like the caribou and And eat him eventually. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. We will definitely expound on that in the deep dive. Clark's in hiding and he put that tongue there so that people would know that they're connected to help them solve it. But he knew he had to get out of there. Yeah, I'm still not convinced that Clark is a villain. I think we can hit on that a little bit but more. Pete, closer. Pete, do you see him in his tight can, black turtleneck? Only villains wear that. That's a good clothes call out. I think we'll hit Clark a little closer to the hint, the end um, in Clark theories, and then we can get deeper into Clark theories Gru, on Tuesday. I think Gru wore that, and he was going to be the world's biggest villain. So I was, I thought it was funny that we got a little bit more of uh, Blair and the other old lady, the cleaner, who is apparently the cleaner at the Salal station. Where are the odds? She mentions the spiral possibly being a cult sign, a witchcraft craft sign. We get a little bit more of the truck driver in Pete. He mentions that the they played video games but were very obsessed with their work. Cleaner said that they never spoke to him, but the truck driver said Clark was weird talking to himself. I don't think he was right. He talks about him hanging out naked. I did find that was weird. They said that Clark was locked in his room. Other men ignored him. So at this point on my side, because I, I had pegged, once again, Craig's the dramas, had pegged that Clark and Annie Kay had a relationship. And so I was expecting he was just kind of depressed and stuff. And some of this they were talking about, it, it remains to be that seen. That tracks the, the though, being in his yeah. room and not coming yeah. out. That makes sense. I would cry. Yeah. Yeah, it remains to be seen, like, how much is depression, how much is him being crazy, how much is it a little bit of a combination of everything. Oh, the naked thing Um, was weird, but then we wouldn't know about the tattoo. Yeah, so we find out that he had the spiral tattoo on his chest. Any thoughts on some of these revelations, Dan? At first, after the first episode, it seemed like Clark might be, you know, in some sort of sinister relationship to Annie. 
it was almost like he's maybe killed her and stole her coat. But now we see that they've got these matching tattoos and there's a lot more of a relationship there. Um, I'm really just kind of curious what that story is and what their connection is and how it ties into everything else. Yeah, I'm kind of concerned that Issa Lopez potentially made a romance story with the names of a actual murderer <laughs> and his victim. I just think it's like, we fucked up. Raymond Clark is the name of a real murderer at Yale who murdered a gal named Annie in real life. And so I think it's a little morbid. Why would she even name a character after him? So that's that's why I was questioning my own theory because I'm like, how fucked up is it to make almost a love story out of two people with the names of an actual, you know, murdering rapist and his victim? It's pretty weird to me. Um, with that said, we do in this episode where Clark is realistically a suspect in murder. So we'll have to see where that was going. But I definitely did call the relationship. But yeah, I'm a little concerned. I'm a little concerned here, so I, I think it still remains to be seen what the nature of their relationship really was. We see Navarro, we get a Spice Girls call out. We'll probably this, cover this in the deep dive, but we get a scene with her in a cross necklace. I'm guessing maybe that's a scene with her mom, like a flashback vision scene, but we don't really know. We'll talk about that later. We get Navarro at Chuck's place. This is where he found out he bought the cousin's trailer. It seems like Clark overpaid. Once again, they said that was seven years ago. So I was definitely checking this with Clark and the relationship with her on my end. Were you guys both tracking that's where that was going? Or what were your thoughts when you were first seeing that? I didn't see what they would eventually find in the trailer. That was kind of crazy. That's for I sure. I was so scared. What was the name? What, what did you call the trailer? An eagle? A golden eagle. Was that like a standard? You ripped him off by taking 10000 for it. And the guy just paid cash, no questions asked. So, you know, he was just getting it to hide something. What's Wasn't going trying to go around town, like finding the best deal. He was doing something secret, secret. What's the going rate on a golden eagle? Up there. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I don't fucking know. <laughs> he just said that he like ripped the guy off. So we did hear I'm that his Clark was truthful. We did hear that his cousin is dead and we hear a bone cancer thing. So we've got a leukemia reference with Russ Cole's dad. We got a bone cancer reference here. I think those are all relevant. What did you think of your boy, old Hank texting his bride, Dan, any thoughts on that? They're trying to make Hank look, and they're doing a successful job of making him look like a yokel idiot. That's getting catfished. And that's what that told me. But you just wait and see. Hank's going to surprise you. Yeah. Well, one thing that it did kind of make me maybe believe for Hank, we've seen Hank on his phone a lot in these previous episodes. And we we're like, who's he texting? He's involved in everything. But it is possible at least some of these texts are to his Russian mail order bride. So I did think that was funny. And just a little bit of cleanup from last episode. It was Liz Danvers who called his bride Natasha, but she must have just been like joking that was his name. Uh, yeah, just Russian a standard name. Russian girl's but name. Best I can tell standard. her name was Alina because Alina likes blue. So we that did and probably... Alina, one leg is shorter than the other. Is it? Alina. <laughs> oh, I get it. Oh. There was an Alina on 90 Day Fiance, but she got kicked off. Because one leg was shorter than the other. We do find out the other funding for Salal was NC Global Strategies, which was owned by Tuttle United. Damn. What? I guess you missed that. Jessica. I wrote it you... down. I wrote it down. Yeah. So we got Tuttle United. Apparently they're involved in video games and all kinds of weird stuff, but also funding the Salal stations. Dan, you're getting a little bit of what you asked for, which was everything tying in to we. Yeah. I, I, this is awesome. I really need to watch this episode. <laughs> we do hear that Pete asks Danvers, what did Navarro do to you? She basically directs him to watch the corpsicle. Jessica, you had some opinions on, I think, why you thought possibly there was a falling out between Danvers and Navarro. Do you want to share? I thought she told on her for one of her affairs. 
It's not a bad guess. Connolly could have been like promoting her or something, and she could have been like, "That's not fair because you're sleeping with her or something." And then his wife could have been like, "I'm divorcing you," and then you know, or or the rich girl, she could have revealed the affair to her, or if she slept with Hank when he was married, she could have done that. I feel like there's a lot of people she sleeps with that she's not supposed to. I do think that's a possibility with Navarro. I still think it's going to be whatever, you know, is involved in that Wheeler case, which I think is going to end up being the she shed. Dan, did you catch any of that? Do you have any ideas on the Navarro falling out or the use of the term corpsicle? No, I took it pretty much at face value. I do know that Issa Lopez is asking for Corpsicle to trend already. That is her request. Very active on Twitter, that Issa Lopez. So we do get where Pete promised to put Darwin to bed. She's not, you know, Danvers isn't going to let him not watch the Corpsicles. Danvers is on the way to pick up her daughter from Kayla's. Her daughter's in the kitchen with the laundromat grandma. Leah has some of these indigenous markings on her face. We do hear, and I'm assuming this is where some of the Jessica Z hate is coming from. So we'll check in with her in a minute. But she does say you can't, you don't get a doodle on my kid's face. And she says, don't give me that laundromat grandma. And they do, Kayla does ask her to leave. Jessica, do you want to unleash her? All Kayla said was that she wanted to learn about her culture. And she said, no, or else she's just going to become, then all she'll be able to become or whatever is a night nurse like you. It was extremely racist and vile. Is a night nurse kind of like a midwife or what is a night nurse? Exactly. A nurse that works at night. I don't know. People hire night nurses to take care of children. Oh, so like she meant a night nurse. Baby. She meant a night nurse like Kayla, not like the grandma, because the grandma runs the laundromat. Yeah, she called her laundromat grandma because she works at a laundromat. I guess the night nurse, they like change and swaddle kids and that kind of thing so their parents can take a break. Dan, any thoughts on that exchange there? I would think in December in Alaska, night nurses would be in high demand because the day nurses, they got nothing. It's a fruitful season. They make hay while the sun doesn't shine, if you will. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they want Danvers to look somewhat racist. I hadn't seen a lot of it the first episode, to be honest, even though I was told that it existed. But this gives her racial scene to make her look real racist. She literally was like telling Navarro about her like spirit animals or something. She was making fun of her for being spiritual. I do understand that. But also, you know, she has some of her God references too. So like, I do understand they were trying to make that racial, but I took it more as like her shitting on a religion versus that. It was like shitting. You don't have as many issues. Hardcore. Dan, go ahead. I was going to say, this whole town feels kind of claustrophobic in here, where you know these people are all aware of each other, but I wasn't expecting Danvers' daughter to be at the house of... This whole thing is so intertwined, and it is contradictory to say, no, you can't put your son to sleep, but I'm going over to your place to pick up my daughter. You work. Well, I'm going to do it. And then she walks in the door, and she's, hee, ho, ho, good to see you. Yeah, I'm doing you a favor. You know, soon enough, you're not going to want to have a husband around. And you can see that it's all going to go to shit really quick. It's not going to surprise anyone that I'm going to stick up for the asshole cop, but let the record show that in this case, it's a woman. And, you know, <laughs> Women I, do, live. <laughs> I do feel like there's just this desire to make her such an asshole. And they're almost, they're maybe piling it on a little hard for me. You know, they're trying to make her as unlikable as possible. And forgive me for not disliking Jodie Foster unless she's in the love scene. And then maybe I like her a little less. Her body was like rocking. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I'm just not. She wasn't the half that bothered me in that Much scene. Much like Connolly, we bras. can't wait to get there. Uh, oh, we do get back at the house. Leah's going to sneak out. Liz is trying to untangle lights. We've got... Danvers going through this box that has the polar bear. It appears to be a picture of Holden. 
and we do get a flashback scene with the Beatles playing. Once again, not a big, you know, step out on a limb, but I did mention I thought that song would have something to do with uh, the death of somebody. And it's obviously a Holden call out that reminds her of Holden. I wasn't sure if Holden had a Beatles haircut too, but that might just have been his haircut. Uh, Dan, did you have any thoughts on the Holden reveal? I was actually expecting more from the whole twist and shout thing to hear it twice in two episodes. You're like, what do they have five songs in this Alaskan town? Um, It's not exactly like a current reference to keep popping up so frequently. I just think it was a song that her kid, or this kid, obviously, my guess is it's not her kid, but it was her kid with that guy that they had a relationship and she became attached to the younger kid, not as attached to Leah. That's going to be my guess, but we don't really have a lot of evidence to confirm that other than that kid has very dark hair and like features that don't really match her and are pretty close to Leah's features. So that those would be some context clues. Uh, would be weird if the kid's a Beatles fan, but that's a possibility. I think that there would be, and this was kind of my thoughts on the first episode, if this happened to be this kid's favorite song, it would be some kind of cosmic fuck up. That song happened to be playing in the Salal station, but we're seeing a world where some cosmic types of things could be connected. I'm along for the ride for now. Jessica, did you have any thoughts of us seeing our first flashback at Holden and Twist and Shout and some of that stuff? Um, yeah, I did think that it was probably like his favorite song or something because they were listening to it on like a boombox with a CD player. Yeah. So it was probably like a CD that they replayed a bunch of times. Dan? And also not to discount it isn't the one-eyed polar bear kind of what triggered all this and not to go too many steps back but we were talking about the opening credit scene in the last episode it did not seem really any different to me except for maybe the clothes drying hanger i did not see this time around i did i think i did see it the clothes are dry I didn't notice any other difference in the... uh, Yeah, to me, it looked the same. I wasn't sure. There was like a flash at the very end that I was like, did I see that the first time? I thought there was somebody like under the ice at the very end, but that could have been in the first time and I could have just been taking notes, but... Okay, sorry, out of order. I just know it was a thing before and it was something I wanted to look for. Yeah, and we can jump in the deep dive on it a little more, but I think it's similar and we'll both take another look at it and confirm. In a move that old Marty would be proud of, they pulled Russ Clark's or Clark's credit history as he's pulling that or being asked to pull that. Hank bitch slapped Pete and says, Danver doesn't own you. You have a family and she's not it. Blood is blood. As our known Hank is sexual here on the podcast, Dan, what were your thoughts on Hank in what appears to be a history of physical abuse with his son, this good guy that you stick up for all the time? Continue. <laughs> I think they're going way out of their way to paint Hank bad. Proved wrong. But in a previous scene, he noticed that he's been, that the files have been stolen from him. Correct. And in a fiery moment of passion that could melt this ice rink, he goes out to confront Pete and makes a regrettable moment. But as we know with our detectives, our heroes on this show, none of them are all pristine and none of them are all evil. There's many Jessica, shades of gray in that ice. I know you think that Pete's a villain, so this probably made you happy. What were your I thoughts was on the Hank? first one. I was the first one to say they want us to think it's Hank, but it's not Hank. I was the first person. No, we have two... you weren't there that episode. Not till later. We have two Hankosexuals on our hands. We're we're team Hank, and but where a difference is, I'm also team Danvers, and Jessica's anti Dan. And you're a little sweet you're also on team Pete. Pete. Your team Pete too. I love uh, that I'm a lover. He didn't like. I'm team Amanda Pete. Twenty years ago. Uh, <laughs> oh, vintage. <laughs> Those are some good years. <laughs> we do get the Jodie Foster sex scene with Connolly. She is the Con- least appealing person. Connolly said, "You fucked me on the bodies, and now you've come to fuck me for real, basically." She said, I know you didn't just stay in town for the weather. What did you think of this passionate lovemaking scene, Jessica? I didn't like it. 
oh my god how could she enjoy that i don't know i would lights on too she is unstoppable <laughs> i would put that as a sexual addiction oh lights on hilarious dan thoughts on this passionate scene there's a perfectly good bed right behind them am i wrong which whole... they rest on later you get too whole... old an old cougar and cat in the throes of passion you never know where it might take place Probably on the comfortable mattress, I would think, rather than the hard credenza or whatever that was. But yeah, I know last season I did a lot of piping up for more sex scenes. I Have you gotten your fill this season? Yeah, I have. Here's what I'm going to say. Issa Lopez is a horny 50-year-old lady. And I'm not going to criticize it. I'm going to thank her for partially bringing sex back into HBO. It may not be the sex I want to see, or the, and I may not have any adequate bras. boobs yet. Yeah, I don't have any boobs yet, and certainly none I've wanted to see so far. But I am going to thank Issa Lopez for doing this. Is I'm not exactly sure that she knows what it's like to have I sex with a man. She's less I think she's Oh, I think she does. I think she's a horny old gal. Go ahead. I don't know because I they didn't. I don't. Neither scene struck me as what men do. You're just used to this idealized Hollywood masculine delivery of sex, and this is. More from a woman's perspective. I was just going to say that she's kind of like the Justin Timberlake of this generation where she's bringing sex back to True Detective. So while we want some guy just staring them down like Connolly. <laughs> Old man ass flapping in the wind. Dude, he's like staring her down the whole time as he like freaking died. She Wait, wanted eye you, contact your eyes the whole time? He, was, like, he, was, he was either like banging or having fucking Connolly, you do. Right. The dark. So, Here's the real question. Which sex scene would you rather see in order? Everybody has to answer. Stacy and Hank, Navarro and Kovic, and Jodie Foster and Connolly. Pick your, I'll let you go first, Jessica. Stacy and Hank, because I like to keep things new and spicy. Then I would rewatch the Navarro and then I would do the whatever Jodie Foster is. And do you have a preference of order here? As as the known Hank Homer, are you going to put him in your one spot with old Stacy? I would give Navarro and Kovic another go around. Maybe give them a different setting. You have to watch it. You can't just eyeball the Grolsch side the, the whole time. You the have to watch them copulate. No, he could have had something on, you know, over on the nightstand that I missed. <laughs> a big clue to life secrets. But Patrick Star Racer. I'm taking this as okay, you're gonna watch another scene with these people. Maybe not the exact same scene, but these two people. I would go them okay. first. I'd actually go Jodie Foster and Connolly second. Oh my gosh. And you even though <laughs> I love it, Hank is my hero on this show. Daisy, just the thought of her makes me want to throw up. So she lands me in last place. I am the same order as Jessica. I think I put oh. Stacey and Hank first. One, we know it's only oral. Two, yeah. we don't know what Stacy's got going. We've seen the other two. Let's let's see it'd what it'd be so funny just to watch Hank texting his girlfriend while <laughs> Stacy's down there giving it her okay, all. I want, if you put in the Russian bride instead of Stacy, that's a uh, uh, no uh, doubt uh, uh, definite. Uh, uh. No, no I mean we know clearly that Russian bride FaceTime sexting is probably ahead, maybe. We don't know that the Russian bride's not a man, to be honest. And yeah, she's probably not. We, we, we don't know that Stacy's not a man. She's played by Anfisa. Um, That'd be great. Dude, do you watch 90 Day Fiance? No. We oh, all know... House villains. <laughs> we all know oh. that the best action we've she, seen and want to see see her before all of her work is kayla i think kayla handjob kayla is my go-to any other 90 day fiance loops you guys want to wrap up we're done so we we do get in this scene that this affair started 19 years ago he says 15 there was some sort of stop in between that she says she was on a break with who jessica with jake 
So I'm assuming Jake's her ex, but we don't really know with Leah. But there's some issues with that timeline, too, with Leah's age and stuff like that. So we've really got some holes still. Because she was cheating. Yeah, but we don't know that those are her. We don't know that those are her. on a break. Yeah, but we don't know. Like, Leah doesn't seem to be her kid. And so Leah is at least 17, 18. And then that other kid was younger. I think still at least five years younger than Leah. So I think we have some holes here still in okay, the so armor. Okay, so Jake, Jake may not be their father. Jake could have just been some guy. It could have been Jake, Jake from State Farm. Yeah. yeah, we're a little unsure there. Uh, he was significant you, to Connolly because Connolly was banging his chick. Yeah. Did you think any of this sex had to do with her trying to get either control or a feel out on this case, Dan? Or yeah. was it just sexual? I need to watch it again. I think it was for her to get over the feelings because she went there immediately after having that flashback to her son. So I thought she needed to feel something and forget about her grief. Almost maybe if we're painting a picture of Danvers and you're talking about her having multiple partners, maybe this is her drug. Maybe this is her alcohol. I said that addiction. Any other take on why do you think it had anything to do with the case or she just wanted to bang with the lights on, Jessica? I think it was just like getting her quick fix. She's an addict. There's no way she had some desire to be there other than to get... Yeah, I'll say this. I do think she had... I, I do think she wanted to feel out on the case a little bit. And I do also think, to me, Connolly's a big suspect for... You know, maybe, I mean, I don't think he's a murderer directly, but I think he's possibly corrupt and involved in some of these, you know, higher mechanisms as we see him trying to get a hold of the case. You hate a task force. Unless it's Um, the FBI. What was it he said that set her off? At one point, he said, why are you so hell-bent on keeping it? She said, I'm going to keep control of it. I think it's when he said, I don't think you can. And I I don't know because I'm not taking deep dive notes yet. But I do okay. know she said, I do know she said, are you fucking threatening me? And so I don't know if that was to, I don't think you can, or if there was an additional threat levied, but that's where, when she felt like she couldn't keep control of it, if she wanted to, that's what kind of set her off. But I do think there's a reason he wants to rest control of this case. And I do think there's some combination of McKittrick, him, I think Hank is not a bad guy, but he may be complicit in knowing that some of these other bad guy mechanisms aren't worth risking your life over, maybe, or your son's life over, or your career over. We'll see. But I definitely think there's something at play here to kind of suppress some of what's going on here. That's obvious, but who's involved in the suppression, I think, is the the real question. So we do get a 2017 tattoo record with a photo from six or seven years ago the tattoo artist remembers him crying a little when he she finished was it a chick or a dude that tattoo was the tattoo artist i thought it was a girl right yeah yeah on the phone it was a girl tattoo expert are you did you have any thoughts on that i was a little surprised that they had a picture of it from seven years ago that they would remember i guess there's not as many tattoos given out in alaska but i still thought it was odd what were your thoughts on this tattoo situation jessica they said it was six hundred dollars right it was not i don't okay yeah yeah twenty dollars for a pack of oreos i don't know how many oreos equal that's a few yeah tattoo to oreo converter but the thing too is it's 2017 it isn't like in biden's tattooed america how much were oreos we're inflated we're ink inflated prices are running rampant how much were oreos in 2017 (laughs) what is the arctic inflation (laughs) i think it's just like hawaii things are expensive either way either way he was robbed by that Fuck tattoo it. artist. This was a minor oversight on their part on the show because it's almost $20 for a fucking pack of Oreos down the contiguous United States of America. I think that's $150 tattoo at best. Dan, any tattoo feedback? No, it was interesting to see the picture of the two of them together. 
just a, a different light on these characters. These characters are kind of a mystery because we haven't really seen them very much alive. Yeah, and I think there's still some mystery to this in that now, I mean, we've got two kind of, I think, diverging thoughts at play, and we can talk about it a little more in the deep dive, but one thought is these were like lovers and friends and whatever, and then the other thought that this guy is a murderer. I don't think it's probably so clear cut on either side but i do think it's possible he i mean he also could have been obsessed with her go ahead yeah i mean he had her coat why wouldn't he have had her tongue and just like when they all scared him away it was him that dropped it as a clue and this is where we find that out so we got danvers at navarro's place we do find out the tongue is annie k's there we see danvers is trying to help her put the cans away she's what are you doing here and as she channels her inner Jessica, she says, now it matters because it's a bunch of white men. I do think this was one of the quotes of the episode by Danvers. She says, you want in or you want to go fuck yourself. Navarro does mention the Wheeler thing, which I think is that shed incident or whatever that case they were on before that we've seen in the trailer. And then they kind of close out. We do this one thing. You close your case. I close my case. And that's it for us. Dan, were you surprised to see her in Navarro's place? And what was your thought on this interaction between the two of them? I just think it moved things along. I don't think there was a lot out to draw out of it. Just, you know, there yeah, I mean, of... I think the tongue reveals significant here for sure. Jessica, thoughts on this scene? Oh my God, what if the sex fixed her and made her realize it was better to work together? It cleared her head post, yeah. post clarity. Yeah. That's why they call it a fix. So we get some Casey and the Sunshine Band. Leah scares Pete at the ice rink. Hank was a musician in the past. <laughs> yeah, so we get some Something reveals about here. Frequencies. He's got an amp. So we get some yeah. reveals here. One, Leah says the sees the mark on his face and says he's an animal. So to me, I take this as this isn't the first time that Hank has. There is some nice interchange between the two of them. I'm going to assume it's brotherly, sisterly play due to their ages. We do hear from Leah. My dad and Liz used to dance to this all the time. My dad was like a stoner, wannabe artist, chill. Pretty sure Liz smoked weed too. So this is that flashback scene you're talking about. And we assume this is Holden's dad. This is Leah's dad. So we still don't have the full picture there, but we've got more of the picture. And then, as you said, Jessica, this is where we find out that Hank was a magician or a musician <laughs> and that their mom said he wasn't good enough to have a career, but maybe not good enough, period. Uh, what were your thoughts on this, Jessica? He just seems the type that you'd think that he had a wife that was just constantly disappointed in him, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's also physical with his son hard to say you know oh my god he slapped you know. his adult son get over it i mean leah says he's an animal that's not the first time he's hit his son and fucking unbelievable now you're defending this dan go ahead so don't we hear twist and shout again here no this is casey in the sunshine band oh yeah that's right okay they paid a lot for music rights for this show. My goodness. Yeah, I was going to say they could have cut at least one of those songs and maybe put it through the groaning man in the ice CGI, but here we are. Yeah, I mean, did you get anything out of the Liz and her dad reveal, or is it just still coloring it, but not a lot of real info? Yeah, it's filling in some spaces, but there wasn't anything that I took and went, oh, geez, now I look at them differently or anything like that. And I did think he looked a little bit like Bryce as well. No. So that that was not lost on me. What did you think of old Kovic in the bath, Jessica and Navarro surprising him and asking I if you watched? I forward. love seeing the chemistry between them. I think that it's building and I think that it's good. I hope they <laughs> become an item. She asked me if he just jerked off and watch porn. He said, can we just watch a movie? She said, porn movie. Dan, any thoughts on that scene? Yeah, that's true love chemistry right there. I did wonder if she broke into his place or if people in Alaska just leave their doors open. Yeah, I'm unsure of that as well. Nothing can be ruled out with these guys, though. So is there making pancakes or Kovic's making pancakes? She said she had no idea about the Clark thing. 
you know, Danvers is really involving her in the case because of her inter- intimate knowledge with Annie Kay, but obviously she missed this. And so I think she's expressing some of her self and she's mentioned something that Kovic said is not the right question. That's what Danvers say. The right question is how they could keep it secret. And that's when the trailer comes up. They mentioned the nook, which is, I assume is the trailer park. So we get the Raymond Clark trailer. We've got animal bones, drawings all over the trailer that seem similar to the journal that Danvers stuff was looking from the through. Ceiling. Yeah, and, and some of that stuff did look a little a true detective Yeah, or like a bird trap or a husk doll or... Yeah, I know it's not the exactly doll the same hanging, thing. which is kind of like the doll from season three. So what was your thought? You know, you mentioned this being a scary scene, Jessica. What were your thoughts on this scene? Oh my God, I was so scared. So scared. I text you. I was like, I would need to bring in stadium lighting just to look in the window. <laughs> would you go in the trailer by yourself? No. And I don't think she waited, right, for Danvers. Like, she Did was she call scared. her in there? Not. She said, you need to see this. Yeah, so she had to have opened it. Yeah, unless she well, saw I it through the window, was, maybe. I thought she was just like, found, knew she found the trailer. Oh, but yeah. she did peek through the window and she must have been shitting herself and was like, you got to get over here. Because that was some scary, that's where the devil lives. Demonic, <laughs> evil, evil lives there. What were your thoughts on that, Dan? And did you guys both notice that it, it seemed to me like the drawings and the journal as he was maybe going into madness, the journal drawings did look a little bit like what, what was all over the trailer, maybe? Or maybe I'm reading that wrong. Go ahead, it Dan. It was kind of crazy. There was the huge spiral on the roof of the yeah. trailer. I'm yep. curious how long you guys thought that trailer was abandoned. If I would assume if the drawings in the journal are similar that maybe he was still going back and forth, but maybe he wasn't keeping it in as good condition as he was when Annie was alive. We do know that Annie's phone was in that trailer. Makes me wonder if Annie's tongue was in that trailer. And then what Um, was what looked almost like a corpse doll tied up laying there? That almost looked like his own little Annie doll, possibly. he stopped her jacket. I think there's more that meets the eye here, to be clear. I think it's way too easy, early, and obvious for this all to be Raymond Clark's just, you know, something's obviously wrong with him, but it's a little early for him to be the murderer of all these people and that kind of thing. Something else has got to be going on here. I also think it's more than meets the eye and that this whole trailer could be a transformer. Jessica, any other thoughts on the trailer? I mean, he could have abandoned it after she died and it could have been someone else do adding all of this creepier shit on top of his creepy shit something else to think of they gave us a shot of it in the open of what appeared to be almost like a crime board and that that was also in the back of that trailer which is how i recognized it definitely a deep dive conversation but it is possible that he's got his own crime board trying to figure out what happened to her as well. Dan, did you have something else you wanted to add? Yeah, I'm curious. You know, they're talking to people that says it's like he's talking to himself and maybe at some point after Annie died, there might have been like a shift in his mental stability. So that's something I'm going to keep an eye out for moving on is what exactly the timeline of Clark and how he developed and where these major events play into it oh maybe he used the tongue to complete the annie doll and that's who he was talking to just trying to get some action (laughs) or he's trying to make her into a walrus i do not think that this is probably a case here but just where the point of conversation is you know if somebody was going to try to frame him or if he knew too much and was going to reveal too much you know, we did see in season one kind of the drugging of these victims, season three, the lithium. So it's possible that maybe somebody was contributing to his mental health decline as well. If he had maybe more information than he needed to have, that's a possibility. Definitely more of a deep dive conversation, though. We get the call from Pete. They've got a problem. There's only six bodies. Clark's missing. Navarro says he's alive. He's out there. Jessica, is Raymond Clark your murderer? this season a true detective no is he insane 
I believe he's been driven insane by something in the mines. I love it. Dan, <laughs> wrap us up. Is Raymond Clark uh, a killer and is he insane? He is the key to finding out the real truth. I, I think we're going to see a lot of trying to find him to get more answers, but who knows how reliable they'll be. I mean, we definitely saw him on screen, both our camera view and the camera view of the phone that he was obviously having some issues when the power went out to begin with. So we know something's going on. I don't think he's the killer of all of those people. Something else is going on for sure. How crazy is, I don't know. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. In this episode, we covered True Detective Night Country, a.k.a. True Detective Season 4, Episode 2, Night Country Part 2. I was your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co-hosting with me for this episode was Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show on Prestige-ish Media on Instagram and Prestige underscore ish on X. You can find me at Real Real Batman on both. You can find Jessica Z at Jobless Dog Mom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair 1017, both on Instagram and X. Thank you again for listening. If you can, please like and subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms. We hope you will join us again for another episode soon. But Because you didn't listen to that part of the episode yet, you son of a bitch. You're both sons of bitches. Whoa, you act like an indigenous woman and hold your tongue. You know what is the least surprising of this episode is that you guys don't give me credit for shit I get right. Least surprising fucking thing of the day for me. I expected it this thing.